The Christmas season is special for many reasons, but of course one of those is that it brings children and grandchildren together. And I know for many of us in this room, we've had children or grandchildren. If you've never had children or grandchildren, you've been around children. And children share a lot of things in common, and part of that is their vocabulary at an early age. Most children learn the same words in their early days. First, those words are very angelic and sweet, as we all remember. The words come out with that sweet mama and dada. And then for your child or grandchild, maybe you remember that first word. Maybe it was for a toy or a blanket and the sweet little sounds that we hear this time of year. But if you've raised children in your house, you know those words can go from sweet to sour very, very quickly. And all children, doesn't matter who you are or whose kids they are, the words transition from dada to no dada, no, or from toy to my toy. And two words that all kids just seem to learn together is this. It's that's mine. All children learn it. And isn't it amazing that children learn it regardless of where they were raised, and really it's not an indictment against the parents. Why do children all learn those words? It's because we're all born selfish people. Can we just be honest? All of us are born sinners is what theologically we're told. We're born into this world with this problem of sin, and sin leads us towards this bent of selfishness. We don't have to teach anyone to be selfish. That's natural. But parents, grandparents, what are those, some of those first words we teach our kids? It's please and thank you. We teach our children to have an attitude of gratitude. And the truth is, as adults, teenagers, those that are hearing my voice today, sometimes we need to be taught that same lesson over and over again. And that's why Thanksgiving's such a special time. Sometimes we overlook Thanksgiving to get to Christmas, but Thanksgiving is a special time because it pauses us right where we're at and forces us to reflect and give thanks. The reality is we all know we should have thankful hearts, but the truth is most of us, pastors included, we can be inclined to miss the blessings that are in our lives. I read some research that came out of the University of California, Berkeley, and they did a study in regards to all these things, Thanksgiving and what's going on in the world, and they found that over 90% of Americans agree that grateful people are more fulfilled, they lead richer lives, and are more likely to have friends. So in other words, as Americans, we all agree, we should be thankful. In fact, 95% of Americans polled even agreed it was important for mothers and fathers to teach their kids to be thankful. So we believe this is something that we need to put as a value into the next generation. Yet, in that same study, they found that when it came to the application of thankfulness, it didn't correlate with what we think because they discovered that less than half of America says that they express gratitude daily to their family. And then, in fact, when you look beyond the family, the home, they found that less than 15% said they regularly expressed gratitude to their friends or coworkers. So, in other words, we all know we should be thankful, but all of us in this room, pastors included, we struggle to give thanks. And even though Thanksgiving is now over, my hope is that a spirit of thanksgiving will continue in these coming weeks. So today, we're going to look to James chapter 1 in just three simple verses. 
And in these three verses, we're going to look at why we should be thankful as we head into this Christmas season, but also, most importantly, how we can be thankful. Because my hope is that even though the meal is come and gone for Thanksgiving, I hope the spirit of Thanksgiving has just begun for those of us that are here at ABC. So if you have your Bible, join me. It's going to be three simple verses as we look to how we can prepare our hearts for this Christmas season. We're going to look to the book of James. Starting in verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. So let's just pause there, and we'll go back to the beginning, because he points out gifts. James says, don't be deceived, and then he says, every good and perfect gift is from above. What he's trying to point to our attention is that we all have gifts. Sometimes we use the word blessings. We have things that have been given to each of us, and he says those things didn't get there by chance. They actually came from a good father who likes to give his kids gifts. As we approach Christmas, parents, we all enjoy receiving gifts, but parents and grandparents, don't you also enjoy giving good gifts? We delight in giving good things to our children, our grandchildren. And we're told our Heavenly Father, He delights in giving us good things. So James says, look in your life and identify those good things, because he said they're not there by chance. A good Father gave them to you. And he's telling us this morning a helpful reminder for me and for you. It's this, don't overlook your blessings. If you want to prepare your heart for Christmas, don't overlook your blessings because sometimes we struggle to identify them james said every good and perfect gift so in other words anything good in your life it's not hard think of something that's good and then he'd say that actually came from god and he says don't overlook it but the truth is we all do why do we overlook the good and perfect gifts all around us i will tell you why it's because usually we're looking at the good and perfect gifts that everyone else has we live in a difficult world in a social media era where comparison is at an all-time high. Oftentimes, we don't think our gifts are very good because we compare them to shinier gifts that other people have. So what happens is you might have something good, but suddenly it feels lousy when you compare it to their home, their car, their job, their family, their perfect picture, their whatever fill in the blank that suddenly comparison robs us of our joy and God of his glory because we start overlooking the good things that our good father has given us. I know some of you traveled this past week. You were on the road and you went to see family. And I've admitted this before, but every time I'm on a road trip, I stop at one place. And y'all, money, y'all already know what it is. It's Bucky's. And Bucky's is America's treasure for a gas station. And I love it. It's an amazing gas station. If you've never stopped, I don't know why not. You should in the coming days because they have everything. Bucky's has absolutely everything and when you pull over you go in there and they have clean restrooms fresh coffee anything and everything you could do your christmas shopping at bucky's you can buy whatever you want and i go in there and i spend too much money every time but i go there 
because I love Bucky's, but I also go there because of their strong marketing. If you drive down the highway, I know many of you saw this, they have billboards for days. I mean, they are everywhere. And they warn you. They say, need to go to the bathroom? You're like, uh-huh. And they're like, it's only 60 miles away. You're like, man, that's a long time. That's 60 miles, but gosh, your bathrooms are clean, so maybe. And then you hold it, and then they say, hang in there. We've got beaver nuggets. Hang in there. We've got barbecue, fresh coffee. And you see billboard after billboard after billboard, and finally you pull over. Why does Bucky spend all that money on those billboards? It's because they don't want you to miss the obvious signs. They want you to know they're there, and they have these great things for you. And sometimes in our life, we miss the obvious signs. We question God's goodness because we're blind to the grace that's all around us. And sometimes we can't see the good things that are right there, even though God has made it so clear to us time and time again. You might say, I don't see any gifts right now, Jonathan. God's given you the gift of life today. He's put air in your lungs, and he's given you health. And can I tell you something? Health is not something you can purchase. God gave that to you. And you're here today, and he gave you another day to steward that was not promised or guaranteed to you. He put air in your lungs, and he brought you into a family of faith this morning. Last night, he gave you shelter, and you slept somewhere. I've maybe not been to your house, but I can tell you statistically, it's better than 90% of the homes in the world. And you stayed in a nice house, most likely. You can give thanks. You can give thanks because on Thursday, I hope, all of us in this room, you ate somewhere. And if you're like me, you ate two or three times that day. Then you ate it again Friday. Then you ate it again Saturday. God's given us good food. And many of us, so much food that we're stuffed. God's given us children and grandchildren. You might say sometimes they don't act like a perfect gift. Yeah, I know. But they are a blessing from the Lord. God's given you life in your family. He's given you a lineage. God's given you in this room finances. You might say not as much as someone else, but he's also meeting your needs. You see, God says he'll meet your needs. He never says he'll meet your wants. But he meets our needs. And I would think that God's put food in your belly, clothes on your body, and a shelter to go home to. Don't rob God of his glory the way he provides. God's given us his word so that beyond physical bread, we can have spiritual nourishment and know who he is and his purposes for our life. And as we approach Christmas, we celebrate that God's given us his son. And if you have Jesus, you really have everything because all this stuff one day will perish but he is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. You see, Jesus gives us everything that we need. So my question to you is, are you overlooking your blessings? Are you looking for blessings that God never promised you, and are you blind to the ones that he's already provided you? God's blessed us in this place. So don't overlook your blessings. But then you go back to verse 17, he says, look for those good gifts, but he says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. You see, not only do we need to be reminded to count our blessings, but we also need to be reminded to give the right credit for our blessings, which is our second point today. Don't take credit for your blessings. You see, we all have a propensity to overlook God's grace in our lives, but we also have the propensity to identify his grace and then we take the credit for it and claim that we're the ones that provided it. 
But did you notice what James said? He said, every good and perfect gift is from where? Above. Not from down here. He said, you didn't make that. God gave it to you. That if you have something good in your life, you give credit to where credit is due, who is from our Father. And as adults, so often, we too can fall into that same trap that we start claiming things that aren't even ours. As we approach Christmas Day on that morning, if you're lucky enough, you'll have kids and grandkids opening gifts in front of you. And once again, you talk about commonalities with children. The same thing will happen in your household. Kids are going to open up gifts. They're going to enjoy it. They're going to go crazy. It's going to be awesome. And then what happens? If there's multiple kids in the room, some kids are going to be intrigued by the other kids' toys. And then they're going to look at that toy, and they're going to want to play with that toy. And then the child who just received something five seconds ago will all of a sudden have so much courage and entitlement, he'll say, don't touch it, it's mine. And then you'll watch as a grandparent, parent will say, I just gave that to you like five seconds ago. And now all of a sudden you think that's yours? As if you deserve it and it's all yours and you can't even share it. But so often we're the same way. That all of us in this room, we can forget that things we have were actually given to us. That, for instance, sometimes we need to be reminded that it's not my home, but God gave you the money to buy that home. It's not my money, because God gave you the job to earn it. You might say, well, that was my job, and my education got me the job. Well, God gave you the cognitive ability to learn at a high level. Then you might say, well, it's my hard work. Well, God gave you the strength to work hard. You might say, it's my discipline. Well, God gave you the days to steward well. Then you might say, well, it's my family. Jesus actually says, God brings men and women together. He says, what God has brought together, let no man separate. You might say, it's my kids. God gave them to you to steward and manage. They're a blessing from the Lord, David tells us. You see, I could play the game all day. It doesn't matter what you say. It's all from God. It's all his. That's why David says in Psalm 24, 1, he says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The fullness thereof means everything. That you can't think of one thing on this earth or that you have and it actually belongs to you. It's all God's. And that's why James says, don't overlook it and don't take credit for it. Instead, you give glory to whom glory is due. A.W. Tozer, he said it like this, and it's a great reminder as we're about to approach a very consumer-based, selfish-based season in the world. He says, be thankful, but be careful that you don't become so enamored of God's good gifts that you fail to worship the giver. How tragic would it be if in the next few weeks you fail to worship the giver? You receive the gifts, you identify them, but then you don't give him credit for them. And you worship God for who he is and what he has done. That's why James says, don't take credit, don't overlook, but instead give thanks. And he's going to show us two practical ways how you can give thanks today. Go back to verse 17. He said, every good and perfect gift is from above. But he said, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Every good and perfect gift is from above, so God gives it, don't take credit. 
But he said it came down from the Father of Lights. And the Father of Lights is an interesting ancient Jewish title that he's attributing to God. As we know, John tells us God is a God of light. And in the first words, you see him actually here through our, our building in Genesis. The first word spoken in creation is, let there be light. God is a God of light, and he spoke light into this world, pushing out darkness. Then he sent his light, Jesus Christ, into this world to redeem us and save us. In this ancient title, the Father of Lights, is they're paying tribute to God for who he is. They're saying, the God who hung the moon and the stars, the God who spoke the sun into existence. And don't miss what he's saying. He's saying that God actually also thinks about you. And he gives you things. Just as he gave light to this world, he gives things to light up your life. God is the father of lights. But then James also says there's no variation or shadow of change. And that's great news for us in this room. He says our God doesn't change. He's a rock. He doesn't move. He doesn't change. He says he is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So for you and I, when you're thinking, what should I give thanks for today? I'll tell you what to give thanks for. Give thanks for his consistency. Give thanks for his consistency. You see, all of us in this room, myself included, the only thing consistent about us is our inconsistency. We're up and down and all over the place. I mean, just look at last week's diet. I mean, I ate so much pie. I ate more pie in one week than I've probably eaten in the last three months combined. I'm inconsistent. And then I ate all this food, and I can tell you the next few days, I'm going to eat a bunch of salads. Then all of you sweet people are going to start bringing desserts to our offices, I hope. And then I'm going to start eating all of those desserts. And I'm going to eat your desserts because I'll have a pastoral obligation, like a cupbearer. I've got to try the things for the people. And then all of a sudden, I'm going to pass on a roll at dinner and think that's somehow going to help. I will be up and down, up and down. And the reality is this is for many of us our spiritual lives. It's up and it's down. It's up and it's down. The only consistent thing about us is our inconsistency. So many of us, perhaps you feel like Paul. Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verse 15, he says, For I do not even understand my own actions. For I do not do the things I want to do, but I do the very things that I hate. You see, sometimes we have good days, those salad days. And perhaps for some of us in this room, we have those good days. We pray, we read our Bible, we win against temptation on that day. But then we also have bad days where we cave to temptation, where we're ungrateful, where all of a sudden we're thinking, when's the last time I even talked to God? And what's amazing is for those of us that are in Christ Jesus, God still loves you in that moment. Why? Because, because he just told you there's no variation or shadow of change. You see, his grace, his love, his mercy is not contingent on your behavior. It's contingent to the finished work of Jesus Christ. So for you and I, we can give thanks for his consistency because he doesn't change even when we unfortunately at times change the wrong direction. Paul speaks to this in Romans 7 uh, excuse me, chapter 7, verse 24, he says, wretched man that I am. He says, who will deliver me from this body of death? He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
Paul said, I don't understand what I'm doing. I don't do the things I want to do, and I do the things that I hate. And he says, wretched man am I. Who can handle a guy like me? He says, praise be to God, Jesus Christ can. He says, Jesus Christ loves me. In fact, in the first verse of chapter 8, he's going to say, therefore, there's now no condemnation for those of us that are in Christ Jesus. It's because he's consistent. His love has no barriers and it has no ends. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, he is the same. Yesterday, today, and forevermore for you. That his grace is unending and that consistency should lead us to a place of security. You see, other religions will teach you that you have to get things right to get God to like you. And what the Bible teaches us is that Jesus did all the things we could not do. That that favor was given to you. It was not earned. And if it was given to you as a gift, it means you cannot lose it if you have placed your faith firmly and fully in Jesus Christ. And that consistency, that love, that covenantal love should lead you and I to worship. You see, we worship this season not to earn God's favor. We worship because we've already received it. Jesus Christ came into this world to live a perfect life we could not live and die a death we deserve. So today and every day for Christians, it is a day of thanksgiving. What can you give a God who already has everything? You give him thanks. You say, thank you, Lord. And you worship him for who he is and what he's done. But he's going to give us one final thing in verse 18 as we wrap. He's going to give us one final thing that we can give thanks for this season. It says, of his own will... He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. So it says a few things right there. James says that God has brought us forth, which is interesting language. What he's doing is he's playing off this imagery of birth. God brought us forth into this world from the womb, but then he also brought us forth spiritually through rebirth, second birth, placing your faith in Jesus Christ. So James says he's brought us forth. He's given us new life. How did he do it? He said, by the word of truth. We didn't save ourselves. Instead, the gospel saves us. Jesus did everything we could not do. He brought us forth, gave us new life through his word so that we would be the first fruits of creation. The first fruits meaning there's more fruit to come. In fact, this harvest continues to this day. God's still saving people. Just as James is speaking to some here saying God brought you forth through the gospel, he's going to bring many more through the gospel as well, including me and you right here in Austin, Texas. And he says all of this was God's idea. All of this was God's grace in our lives. Because if you go back to the text, it says in verse 18, what's that first clause? It says, of his own will. You see, God chose to bring us into his family. We didn't knock on the door and force our way in. He sent his son to open up a door. It was of his own will he sent his son. And he brought us into the family of God. So you give thanks not only for his consistency, but then fourth and finally, give thanks for his generosity. Give thanks for his generosity this season. God has been so generous to us especially here at ABC. I could go down a long list of a bunch of blessings God, give, God has given us, but the number one blessing he's given us is his son. God's given us his son. Of his own will, he chose 
to send his son. The father sent his son, and the son chose to lay down his life. And then the son sent the spirit who fills our hearts and walks and talks with us every single day. It's all of his will. He's a generous God that gave the most perfect gift of his son. So we give thanks. James, as he's writing this, I can imagine it's hitting a soft spot for him. Because James did not believe that in former years, if you know the story of James. James was a half-brother of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 13, we're told that Mary went on to have other children. As you already know, we'll celebrate this Christmas season. Jesus came into the womb of Mary through the conception of the Holy Spirit. So he's fully God and fully man. But then Mary and Joseph had a presumably normal married life after that, and they started having their own children. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 55, we're told that he had at least four brothers. They're named there, and it says sisters, plural. So he had at least two sisters. And who are one of the four half-brothers, the, the sons, in other words, of Mary and Joseph that he lived with? James was one of them, we're told. You might say, that's got to be incredible growing up with Jesus. My goodness. John chapter 7, verse 5, tells us that his brothers didn't even believe in him. James couldn't stand Jesus growing up. Which, to be fair, talk about a golden child. I mean, my goodness, that's a tough older brother to live with in a home. Guy who never gets anything wrong, literally, ever. And James, for his reasons, he had a hard heart towards Jesus. He didn't see him as a gift. He didn't worship him. But then all that changed with the resurrection. The resurrection changed everything. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, we're told that Jesus came in his glorified body to see James then the other apostles. So he went and made things right with James. And how did he make them right? I imagine he showed his hands, and he showed his presence, and he saw his brother now in a glorified state, walking on this earth, and that had to wreck James. That had to wreck him. That he realized all those years wasted. That he was following all this other stuff, not believing the most important thing. But Jesus offered him forgiveness, and then he enlisted him as an apostle to where James then goes on preaching the gospel. He starts leading a church in Jerusalem, and in fact, he ends up dying for the gospel. He's martyred for preaching about his resurrected brother, which as a side note, I know a lot of people say, how do you know this is true? That to me is one of the greatest evidences, that people will die for a lot of things. It's usually not lies. And then secondly, you may worship a lot of things. It's probably not going to be your brother. That's probably the last thing you'll worship. But James did. And then he died for him. And why? It's because Jesus was so generous with him. He offered him forgiveness, restoration, redemption, and new life. And Jesus is in the same business today. He's still offering redemption, restoration, forgiveness, and new life. So in this former season, if you've been going the wrong direction, like James, today Jesus is offering a hand to you as well. And all you simply have to do is receive with a grateful heart all that Christ has done, and he will put you into service for him and his kingdom. My question for you is, are you giving thanks? Are you giving thanks? Because if you have Jesus, you have everything as we approach this Christmas season, we all should have grateful hearts. Why? Because great is our God, 
and great things he has done. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his love endures forever.